Listen, I need to address, okay, before we, we dive into today, um, there, there's two things really working against this moment, okay? One is a holiday hangover. Uh, you got tryptophan still in your system, and so some of you are going to feel a little bit groggy. I need you to shake it out of you a little bit today because I, I, I've got a message for you, and I need you to kind of bring that same intensity, okay? And then, I, obviously, we know what happened yesterday, and, uh, and that was heartbreaking, but you know what I look at it? I look at it like this. Um, um, you know, we talk about this, this place uh, is a house of mercy, and, you know, the truth is we have not been merciful for 10 years, and so I think God wanted to shine a little mercy on the poor souls up north, and so it's okay. We'll give them this year. We'll pray for them. We'll move on for next year, all right? But anyways, let me just say, Hope Day is coming up this coming Saturday, and I want to encourage you. Like, we, we've filled up almost all the events. I think we've added another one. But I want to encourage you, like, lean into this season. One of the things I'll say is if you're here and you're saying, I need some hope in my life, can I tell you one of the greatest things you could do is actually give hope to somebody else who needs it, and you might actually end up receiving something yourself. And so I want to encourage you next Saturday, join with us as we go serve our community. And then the following weekend is going to be big. Okay, do not miss. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be impactful. But it is our end-of-the-year offering. We're calling it our movement offering. And I, I just really want to encourage you to lean in. This is the only time we do this every year where we just kind of take up an offering at the end of the year to help us advance our mission and to help serve our community. We want to help families in need this season. And, and you probably know this if you've been around here. We say it all the time. But 10% of what is given, we designate toward helping our community specifically and using, using funds to help out reaches, and so we're supporting two specific ministries this year. At the end of the season, we're supporting Stowe Mission, a local uh, mission that we help out, and then Lifeline Mission, we're helping them uh, plant a church with a medical clinic, dental clinic, everything in Panama in an area that really needs the gospel. And so here's the cool part. When you're a part of that, you're, you're a part of making a difference. And, and that's what this is about. That's what this series, what we're ending this year about is we're, we're inviting every person who's a follower of Jesus to step into something bigger than just yourself. That's, that's the call of Jesus is to be a part of a movement. That's what we're talking about, movement. Jesus didn't, um, he didn't say, I'm going to build a church on a corner and hopefully everybody will come and visit the church on the corner. When Jesus said, I'll build my church, he actually said, I'm going to start an ecclesia. If you were here last week, I'm going to start a movement where I'm going to call people out of their houses and then I'm going to inspire them and I'm going to give them a mission to go into the world. There's going to be movement behind it. And so here's what I want you to know. If you are someone who says, I believe in Jesus, that's great. But the invitation he really gives is to follow him. He really invites us to say, follow me, which is an indication that he's moving somewhere. Jesus is going somewhere. He was always on the move. If you follow his life in the Gospels, he never just like, hey, well, I'm going to plant in Nazareth. We're going to build an empire. Come and visit. No, Jesus went from place to place, town to town, person to person, taking the hope with him every place he went. And he invites us, saying, come on and join into the movement. I'm going to start something, but I want you to be part of it. Get into the movement. Can I tell you this? Uh, this idea of faith or this idea of church is Jesus never intended to create a place for us to come and sit and attend. He, he invites us as his followers to say, I want you to come. Hey, we're going to gather. We're going to worship. We're going to inspire. But then you go take it with you. Everywhere you go, this is what we're called to do. This is a movement. God's calling us to be in a movement. And today as we continue on in our, our series 
Uh, I would love for you, if you brought a Bible or electronic device, you like to follow along, I would love for you to get it out and go to John chapter 5 with me. We're going we're gonna to pick up the story of movement in John 5. I want to show you a, a story of Jesus' ministry that really speaks to the heart of Jesus. Here's my thought. If we're going to uh, be in the movement of Jesus, we better know what it looks like to be like Jesus. If we're going to follow him, we need to understand the way he thought, the way he acted, the way he was. And in John chapter 5, we get a beautiful picture of this. And so we're going to start off in, in John 5. Now, here's the unique thing I found about Jesus and about the gospel account of John. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit kind of unique than the other gospel accounts. Now, John was one of Jesus' closest friends who wrote this. And so he kind of shares a little bit more of an intimate portrayal of Jesus's ministry. One of the things I found fascinating that John highlights is that when Jesus planned to start a movement, he started it by reaching the one. Now that's not how you or I would start a movement. If you said to me, hey, I'm gonna start this thing, it's gonna be groundswell, it's gonna reach to the ends of the earth, I wanna start a movement. If you and I were gonna do that, more than likely we'd rent a space, we'd, rent a, a, we'd hold an event, we'd do a mass marketing plan, we would raise money, we would get everybody to come and show up. But that's not what Jesus did. The way he started the movement was reaching the one. You see this story found all through the Gospel of John. You see, in John chapter 1, when Jesus first started his ministry and he was going to gather 12, John highlights the fact that Jesus went and found Philip. Do you know what's interesting about Philip is that you almost hear nothing about Philip the rest of the gospel story. He seems insignificant. Here's what I found. Jesus likes the insignificant person. He finds Philip, and in chapter 2, Jesus attends a wedding, a, just a, a wedding of a bridegroom and a bride that we never even get to know their name, but they end up with a real need, and Jesus performs his very first miracle, turning water into wine for a wedding that we don't even know who the people are. So you're going, man, Jesus, he, I wonder if he had a ministry where he went around to all the weddings and turned what? No, he didn't. It was just that one. And then in John chapter 3, he actually has a conversation at night under the shroud of darkness with a guy named Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, who says, I really want to know. There's something fascinating about you, Jesus. I want to know truly how to find eternal life. And so Jesus spends time with the one. And then John chapter 4, notice what Jesus does is on his way to Jerusalem, he has to go through Samaria because he has a divine appointment at a well in the middle of a town where he meets a woman, one woman, who doesn't feel like God loves her, who doesn't feel worthy of being loved by a man, and Jesus shows up so that he can give hope to that one woman in Samaria. What I'm saying is, as you follow his story, it's always about the one. It's about the overlooked, the underappreciated the person that everyone else is stepping over to get by, Jesus always saw the one. And we're going to see that again today in John chapter 5. And so if you got your Bible, John chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1 at this story where Jesus finds the one. It says this in John 5 verse 1, that sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for such a long time that he asked him, do you want to get well? 
I want to pause for just a second there because I think the context is really important. John, that helps us understand something that we, we need to see. Three times a year, if you were a Jewish male specifically, if you were Jewish, you were, um, you were commanded to actually travel back to Jerusalem. Three times a year for three important festivals, there was the Passover. They would celebrate that annually. There was the uh, Feast of Weeks. Okay, they would celebrate that. That was Pentecost. And then they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And so three times a year, if you were a Jewish, no matter where you lived, you were supposed to make the journey to Jerusalem. You would go there and you bring your sacrifice. And, and actually what we see, John tells us, is that Jesus, he came to Jerusalem and he came in through the Sheep Gate. Now, what's so interesting about the Sheep Gate? Well, the Sheep Gate is on the north end of the town. The Sheep Gate is the, one of the north gates of the city of Jerusalem. It's really close to the temple, which, by the way, makes sense because in John chapter 4, Jesus was going to Jerusalem and he went through Samaria, which is north of Jerusalem. And so Jesus, as he walks in through the sheep gate, now why was it called the sheep gate? It's because this gate was close to the temple, and this was the area where people would bring their sacrifice with them when they were coming to offer a sacrifice at the temple to God. And so during the festivals, and who knows, maybe this was the Passover where people would bring an animal and they would offer a sacrifice. Here we see um, Jesus and his disciples coming up to the sheep gate. In Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting about the Sheep Gate as well is if you read in the New Test or in the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah, there's very few things that are said about this particular gate. But one of the things that we learn is that Nehemiah, who was a guy who led the Israelites back from captivity, they had been captive in, in Babylon for years, and they were coming back to Jerusalem to try to rebuild the walls, reestablish the city once again. And one of the things that Nehemiah did was he kind of brought everybody together to rebuild parts of the wall. That was their protection around the city. In Nehemiah chapter 3, it tells us that he got different families to do different things. And what's interesting about the sheep gate, it was, it was the high priest and his children alone that put back the, the sheep gate. It was actually a very important gate. And it says that they dedicated it to the Lord. There was something special about the sheep gate. There was also something special about this moment. As Jesus, as he walks to Jerusalem, and I picture him, he's coming to the town, and he sees the walls and this gate, and John tells us, by this gate is a pool of water, and you look around by this pool of water that's covered, and I love the detail. By the way, archaeology, they've found that there is this really deep pool of water. It's very, very deep on the north end where the, gate, where the wall used to be before it was expanded. And they actually have found that there were five pillars that went up, four on one side, one in the middle. And that's what these columns were to hold the shade over top of the pool. And so John gives us a unique detail about this moment. And he says that, as they walk up, they see lying around the pool a bunch of people. Now, these are people who are blind and they're lame and they're paralyzed and they probably have diseases and they're laying around the pool. And I know some of you are probably thinking, I would love to be doing that right now, just laying around the pool, just trying to get a work on my tan. That's not what's going on here, okay? They were lying in the shade of the cover to get out of the hot sun. And they would bring, and they would come, and people would bring them to around this pool. And, and, and so they're outside. Here's what I want you to see. Before King Agrippa came and actually moved the wall of Jerusalem, most believe that this pool was outside the wall, the original wall of the city, which is 
probably very true when you think about the way the culture was toward people that had issues. If you had a condition, if you had a disease, if you had a disability, if you had a problem, if, if you had a, an issue, you were relegated to outside. You were not allowed. You're paralyzed. You're not allowed to approach the temple. You're not allowed to approach. Now, I want you to picture this because everybody else is going to the temple with their sacrifice to worship God. This is what the people did. But not if you were disabled. Not if you had a condition. Not if you had a disease. You were left outside the wall. You were left outside the gate. We're going to keep you out of it. That was the picture of this moment when they're doing it. And that is the picture of what it was like back then, if you, were, if you were crippled, you were an outcast. If you were diseased, you were an outcast. Here's what I love about Jesus in this moment. He's on his way to the temple. This is what you did. He's coming from the north. He passes through this gate. He probably, his disciples, and maybe they got some animals with them. That's what they're going to go. Now, Jesus doesn't need to offer a sacrifice, but he participated in all of the things with everybody else. And as Jesus is walking, and they've got somewhere they've got to be, and they've got, they're going to go to church, and they're going to worship, and they're going to do this. But when Jesus walks by and he sees the broken and the hurting and the lame lying right there, Jesus stopped. Amen. He stopped. Now, this is the same Jesus that's always moving until he sees someone hurting, then he stops. He's always going. He sees in the moment when Jesus saw them, he stopped in that situation to see them. And I picture Jesus, as he sees them, he stops and he starts to ask questions. Hey, what's her situation? Hey, what's his story? Hey, what's his struggle? We know that because in this moment, Jesus finds out that there's a guy who had been there for 38 years, an invalid. He can't take care of himself. He needs help. He can't, he can't take care of himself. Can you imagine four decades of being stuck in a horrific situation? Stuck. And Jesus, I love this, I love this. He stops where everybody else is still going. He stops when everybody else is headed to worship. And, and I, I got this picture because I thought, man, and I was convicted by this, because I thought, how often is that us? How often in our lives are we so busy and so focused and so moving forward, and even with good intentions that we do, that we don't even see the people and the condition of the people who are around us? Let's be honest. Jesus saw him and he stopped what he was doing. And I think if there's anything we as his followers need to pick up and see is that we need to have the same kind of eyes to see people. We need to see people and not their condition. This is what we tend to do. We tend to see someone's condition and we step right over. Oh, I can't be inconvenienced by that. I'm challenged by that because how many times do I turn away from someone's situation or condition because it looks messy? Because I don't want to get involved. No, that's their personal business. I've got things to do instead of stopping in that moment to say, God, is there something you wanted me to do in this moment? This is what we need to do. We need to learn. I'm, spe I'm preaching to myself. We need to learn to not see the condition but see the person. To not see the addiction but see the person. To not see the person with a criminal record but to see the person. To not see the broken and hurting person that's homeless, that's a mess, this person who's struggling in their marriage or their addiction to pornography. But to see the person because that's how Jesus saw it. 
He saw it and he stopped. I love it. By the way, can I, can I just say, that's why we need moments like in the middle of a busy season, like the holiday season, the reason why I challenge our church to do things like Hope Day and to give, to serve and to give, do you know why I do, in the middle of the season? Because I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, there's better times of the year to do this. Do you don't know how expensive this is? Yeah, I do. No, I got to buy presents and gifts and I got all this stuff and we got parties and we're decorating our house and it's very expensive and it's a busy season and we got a lot of things that are going on, preparations and family gatherings and all this stuff. I know, but that's why we need these moments because otherwise I can spend the entire holiday season that is supposed to be about honoring Jesus so busy with my life that I don't see the people that God wants me to go to and to be the movement of Jesus in their life. I can be so busy and calm up myself that I don't even pause. That's, that's why I will always challenge us in the busiest season to say, let's stop and serve. I don't have time. I don't have time. No. If you're going to be like Jesus, you make time. You make time. You make time. I don't have, to, I don't have the money. It's so busy. No. If you're going to prioritize worshiping Jesus, then you, you make it a priority. We need these kind of moments because this, this is what Jesus does, and he invites us to follow him. And he, and he finds out that this man's condition, I think he's so moved by compassion. This is Jesus, by the way. That he, that he goes over to the guy who's on the ground. And he said, sir, do you want to get well? No, can I just, I know this is Jesus, okay? So I'm, I'm being real reverent. But um, this seemed like a dumb question to ask the guy. Did anybody else feel that way? Sir, do you want, I mean, that's like asking a hungry person, do you want a hamburger? Yeah, I'd take a hamburger right now, you know? That's like, that's like asking um, Odell Beckham Jr., do you want the ball? Yeah, he wants the ball. It's like asking my wife, do you want Starbucks? I know I don't even need to ask this question. Why in the world does Jesus stop and say, do you want to get well? I think it's because Jesus will never force upon something that they don't want themselves. Listen, I want you to hear this because some of you might be here today and you're not well. And I'm not saying that you're an invalid. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you might be spiritually sick. I'm saying you might actually, your life might be a mess. And here's the thing. I need you to understand is that there are people in this community and there's a God who loves you and wants to help you step out of that situation, but he's not going to do it unless you want to. You've got to say, you can't help somebody fix their marriage if someone in the marriage doesn't want to work on it. Okay, and so when we're called to follow him, but we're, this is why maybe Jesus says, hey, but do you want to get well? Now, the guy's answer is interesting to me. It shows me that he probably didn't know who Jesus really was at this moment. I don't even know if he had heard a story about Jesus at this point. The, the way he responds, listen to what he says in verse 7. Listen to what he says back to Jesus. Sir, the invalid replied. Again, we don't even know the guy's name. We're just know him by his condition. He said, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is what? Everybody say it, when the water is? When it's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now this seems like an odd answer. Do you want to get well? Yeah, I want to get well, but I can't get into the pool. What does that have to do with it? Well, there was a legend that they believed. There was a legend that whenever the water in the pool would be stirred, that it was a supernatural stirring. Like you couldn't see it, 
but it was like a supernatural presence had stepped into the water. And here's what they believed. And now it's starting to make sense of the setting. See, they weren't working on their tan. What, what makes sense is that they all hung around this pool because it was a place of hope for them. This is what they believed. And we kind of aren't really clear about it because there's a little bit missing from the story. Did, I don't know if you noticed this. If you got your Bible, you take a look at it real quick. Take a look, take a look. I want you to look at John 5, verse 4. John 5, verse 4. Did you find it? John 5, verse 4. Did you find it? Did you find it, John 5, verse 4? Yeah, it's not in there. It's not in there. Because part of verse 3 and 4 are missing. It's not in there. Let me tell you why. Okay? There's just a footnote there. It's because, um, and, and we, we talked about the Bible a couple weeks ago, so if you're here for that, you understand the, the importance of making it as accurate as possible. And so what they have found is they've discovered many manuscripts is they've discovered that some of them had what you see in part of verse 3 and 4, and some of them did not. And so in, a, in an attempt to be as transparent and, and, like, maybe John didn't say that, but maybe later people were giving us the context of what the people believed and did, that they put it as a footnote. But I wanted to read it. I wanted to read it. I know it's a footnote. And, and you don't really need it because the guy kind of gives you an indication of what they believed, but I, I found it fascinating. Let me read verse 3 and 4 again. It says, here... A great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. That's the part we already heard. And then it says this, and they waited for the, notice this, for the moving of the waters. They waited for the movement. They waited for the water needed to be moving. It says, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, my guess is that's a legend, right? But this is what they believed. It kind of puts a new perspective on the, the whole game. Last one in's a rotten egg. You know, you always play at the pool. This is a little bit different. This will be first one in gets healed, okay? This was the perspective that they had. This is, but what I want you to see is that they're lying around this pool because it is the place of hope. In their minds, when the water begins to move, that's when they can discover mercy. The water had to be moving for them to get mercy for their situation. Why, why do I know that? Because John tells us that the name of this pool, it was called in Aramaic, it was called a pool of Bethesda. Now, the word Bethesda is a combination of two words, but it literally means a house of mercy, a house of grace. So now I hope you understand the reason why they're all lying in this shaded area around this pool is not just because they're hanging out. Maybe someone will give them food. Maybe someone will see and have pity on them in their situation. Maybe. But I believe they were hanging around it because they were going to the one place where maybe they could find mercy. And when Jesus looks at him, he says, do you want to get well? He's like, man, of course I do. But every time the water starts to stir or move, I can't, there's no one to help me get into the water to get healed. I just, I want, I want mercy in my situation. You know, it's interesting. This guy doesn't even realize who just walked up to him. 
He thinks the mercy he needs, the Bethesda, the house of mercy is in the water in front of him. And he has no idea who just walked into his house. He thinks the house of mercy was the five covered colonnades over top of the pool of water. He didn't realize that the house of mercy just showed up at his front door. He had no idea that that's who Jesus is. And we know this, listen, because he thought there was mercy in the moving of waters. I started thinking about this. I started thinking about there's mercy in the moving of the waters. Oh, that, remind, that reminds me of something. That, that reminded me of the previous chapter. That reminded me about John chapter 4, when Jesus said he had to go through Samaria, when all the Jews went around Samaria, when Jesus had to go through the middle of the town, and on the hottest part of the town, he went to the well, and at the well, he meets a woman who comes to him who's thirsty in many ways. She's thirsty, and she's using her bucket to draw out some water, and Jesus looked at her, and he said, will you draw me some water? And she was offended. She's offended because he is a Jewish rabbi, and they snubbed them. They wouldn't talk to the Samaritans, let alone a female Samaritan in this misogynistic culture. And they snubbed normally, and now here he is. Now you're going to ask me for some water? Who do you think you are? That's her response here. You don't even have a bucket. Good luck getting some water. And Jesus looked at her, and he said, if you knew who was standing in front of you, you would have asked him for water. And she said to him, she said, who do you think you are? You think you're greater than Jacob? Our, our father, he built this well. You think you're better? Yeah, Jesus is like, I know Jacob built the well, but he ain't the source. I know Jacob might have dug the well, but he didn't provide the water. Listen to what Jesus said. I love this, John 4, 14. He said, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them. Listen, not a well, not a stagnant group of water, but will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What he's saying is what you need is moving water. But it's not the moving water in the pool. What you need is the moving water of my spirit showing up in your situation. Because I came today to bring mercy. I came today to bring grace. I came to the house of mercy to show you what real mercy is. And, and, I, and I need to say this because, because there might be somebody here today. In many ways, you, you feel like that guy who's stuck on the mat. You, you haven't been able to get your life moving. It might not be a physical disability, but it might be an emotional. It might be a relational. It might be financial. It might be spiritual. But I, I'm speaking to some people, I believe right now, that you can identify with the guy on the mat. I can't get up. I have tried and I've tried and I can't get my life up. I have tried over and over and I can't. Can I just tell you? You came to the right place today. You came to the right place, not because the church structure is a place of mercy, but because the followers of Jesus have the flow of the spring of water, the source of healing and of his mercy inside of them. You came to a house of mercy today, not because of the building, but because of what God does in this community. You came to the right place today. You're going to find out from the source, and that's Jesus. And so in this moment where this guy's situation is beyond repair, I love what Jesus does in verse 8. Jesus looked at the man. He said to him, get up. 
pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. You know, one word from Jesus. I'm looking at a room full of people and I'm looking online to some people right now. One word from Jesus changed your life. One moment with Jesus changed your life. That's all it takes. One encounter with the king of kings. One encounter with the prince of peace. One encounter with the true God of mercy. Change your life forever. And he looked at him and he said, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy stumbled onto his feet. It's been four decades. Four decades. He hasn't known what it's like to put weight on his legs. I imagine what it looked like for him to stumble, have somebody help me up, and he picks up his mat, shoves it under his arm, and he just walks off in the scene. I thought to myself, because I asked weird questions, I wonder where he went. John, why didn't you tell us? I want to know, where did he go? Where did he walk? And and then I thought, and I, I have my own ideas. I know it's not in there, but I have my own suspicion. I think... Because this is what I would have done. I think he walks right in to the temple. The place he was never able to go. I think the place where everybody else get to go, but he didn't get to go, I bet he walked right into the temple. Just put his mat under there. I'm going right into the, I'm going to go to the presence of God. I'm going to go right in there. And, and that's, that's what I think he does, not just because that's what I would have done, but because of the people he ran into. The story tells us that he runs into some people. Now, verse 9, it goes on. It says, the day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed. So he, he walks, and he obviously runs into the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders. Here's what they said to him. It's the Sabbath, man. The law forbids you from carrying your mat. But he replied, I know, but, but the man who who just made me well, he told me, pick up my mat and walk. I'm listening to that guy, not you guys. You stepped over me every single day. You walked into the temple. You passed by. You didn't even look at me. This guy shows up. He heals me, tells me, I'll do whatever he He tells me, do jumping jacks, I'll do jumping jacks. He tells me to run laps around the temple, I'll run laps around the temple. I'm listening to that guy. Listening to you. So they asked him, well, who is this fellow? We won't find him. Who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who had healed him had no idea who it was. See, I don't think he even knew who Jesus was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. It was on the Sabbath. Jesus, you know better than to heal on the Sabbath. What's wrong with you? You don't do that. Okay, even if it was okay to heal on the Sabbath, that's fine. But then why do you tell him to carry his mat on the Sabbath? See, the Sabbath was intended to be a day of rest. The Sabbath, listen, was something that God gave to mankind. It was intended to be a blessing. 
so that we don't fall into the trap of working seven days a week, grinding it out every single day, thinking we've got to get more, thinking we're never going to have enough if I don't go and work for it. And so what God says is you need to rest because I did not create you just to work. I also created you to worship. And so what I need for you to do is to prioritize one day a week where if you will trust me to provide by putting me first and worship me instead of working to get what you feel like you need to get, watch me bless you in return. And it was intended to be a blessing, but what happens is religion comes in and religion takes what God intended to be a benefit and turns it into a burden. The religious leaders of this day, you know what, they, they followed this, um, it was called the Mishnah. The Mishnah was, uh, 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 it was their rules for the rules. It was something they had created that would say, we're going to help you understand the Sabbath and all the rules because you obviously wouldn't be able to figure it out on your own. And so in the Mishnah, there's 39 categories of things that you can't do or you break the Sabbath. You're only allowed to walk a certain distance. And one of those things was you couldn't transport or carry something from one place to the next. Ah, you... Jesus, why you tell him to take his mat with him? See, now, now you did it. And here's what, here's what I found. I found that this, this exists today in our culture and sometimes in the church is that we don't understand the grace that God gives to us and the reason why God sometimes even gives things like the Sabbath is for our benefit. It's, it's, it's not so that we follow a bunch of rules to make him happy. And what religion does is that grace gives us the freedom to live our lives, and religion comes in and says, stop. Grace says, live your life to the fullest. Yes, follow Jesus, but live your life in freedom. And religion says, stop, you're messing up. You did that wrong, and you did that wrong, and you got an addiction, and you lied, and you cheated, and you got divorced, and you did, and religion comes in, and it beats down based on what you've done. That's, that's what religion does. And so the religious leaders, man, they show up, and I found this interesting. The first thing that they say to this guy, they don't say anything like, you're that guy. Oh, my God. You're, you're him. They don't even notice that. Because why? They were so focused on the mat, they missed the miracle. Well, they were so focused on the mat, they didn't see the miracle. All they could see was you're breaking the rules. They couldn't even see the fact that God had healed him. No, 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 they didn't see that because that's what religion does. I need us to hear this. Why? Because if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be the movement that Jesus intends us to be, not just some church that sits here with a bunch of judgment and going to throw out a bunch of stuff against the world that doesn't know him, but if we're going to be the church that's moving like Jesus, we've got to move toward people with mercy. We've got to move toward toward people with love, toward people with grace. We don't move toward people with beating them over the head with truth. Oh, you messed up again. Oh, you broke the rules again. I'm just going to come smack you over the back of the head. I've been around church that that was the, that's the message. And, and no wonder the world doesn't care about the message of Jesus. It's because the, the church doesn't care about their mess. We want the world to care about the message of Jesus. Maybe we ought to start by caring about their mess. I don't care about your message. Do you care about my mess? Because I'm hurting. 
and I'm hopeless, and I'm addicted, and I'm locked up, and I don't have a lot of hope. Well, what about the truth? Well, here's the good thing. Jesus was full of grace and truth. But I like how John tells us in John 1, full of grace and truth, he put grace first. We lead with grace. We lead with mercy. That's what Jesus did in this story. Jesus didn't go up and go, so you want to repent of all your sins? I'll heal you. Jesus just said, get up, take your mat, and walk. He didn't even stop him and say, hold on first. Let's talk about your life and all the things that you got messed up now. He just said, go. That's crazy to me because that's not how we think in the church. But this is the way Jesus is. Now, listen, Jesus cares about truth. But what Jesus always did was he addressed the mess first. Then he would come back around and lovingly give the truth. And Jesus did the same thing here. He did the same thing here. Verse 14 says later, Jesus found him later, later. Everybody say later, later. He addressed his physical need first. Later, he go address the other things. Later. You don't lead, it's later. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and he said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, don't mistake this because sometimes people, I've heard this false theology, that the reason why you're in this pain and the reason why you're in this suffering is because you've broken some kind of rule and because God's mad at you. That is false theology. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about, oh, don't do this or something worse. He's talking about spiritually. He's talking about eternally. He's like, you go and live your life of sin. Here's what you do. You are separated from me forever. And that is far worse than being an invalid for 38 years of your life. But here's what I want you to see, and this is the picture I want my church to get. If we're going to be a movement, here's what we're going to do, okay? We're going to lead with mercy. We're going to lovingly serve. We're going to go and be generous, and we're not going to add qualifications to it. I know some people don't like that. You just gave money to that guy. You don't know he could be an addict. You don't know he could be. I know I don't, but you know what? The most loving thing I could do in that moment, he needed something. I'm going to step up and help him, and I pray that he gets that help, but I'm going to step into it. Can I tell you why? Because this is what it means to be a movement of Jesus, and this is what it means to be a house of mercy. I want this community to be the pool of Bethesda. But it's not the pool. It was the place where Jesus met him. That's the house of mercy. And I believe that when there is a flow, by the way, if you want to know about the flow of Jesus, you should see it in the followers of Jesus. If you want to know about the flow of the water, the stirring water that actually heals, the stirring water that can bring hope, the stirring water that can save, if you want to know about that, it's found in Jesus and his followers because they carry it with them. And perhaps maybe in this community, no one knows that better than Tony. Take a look at this story. My name's Tony. Uh, 10, 11 years old, first time I went to jail because I was bad, born and raised on the west side of Columbus. And I was just out hanging with the wrong crowd, trying to be cool. And turns out it wasn't so cool. So uh, I went to DYS, which is basically juvenile prison, when I was 15. I got out when I was 17. Uh, I met somebody else, and I thought that was doing okay but it turned into a very big drug addiction 
which I never anticipated. And it was kind of scary because I didn't know where I was headed. And my mom died on October 11th of 2009. And that was the worst day of my life. And I wouldn't wish that upon anybody at 25 years old to lose your mom because I, I still can't handle it to this day. I ended up being accused of a robbery that I did not commit. And I went and did one year for that. So basically total all my times in jail, prison, and that's like every day. I might have about 15 and a half years behind bars. And with this drug addicted woman and I catch a robbery case and I get out and something just felt a little different. So um, I go to a halfway house and that is actually where I met my best friend and fiance, Stacy. For the first 18 months, she begged me to come to church every Sunday. And I'm like, no, 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 God doesn't like me because he took my mom when she was 53 years old. And it, it was just been rough. So Easter Sunday, we were standing the night with my sister and I decided I'm gonna surprise Stacy and come to church. So we get up Sunday morning and they're all getting dressed and I hurry up, got my clothes on real quick. Stacy came in the room like, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to church. Now, my whole motive was to say, I'm going, I was gonna go to church and then say, okay, now stop asking me. But I walked in the door and I felt welcome. And I haven't felt that feeling in a church in a long time. So when we came in and I heard the Sabbath sermon, it was something about it. This is 1,000% real. The Holy Spirit entered my body on that Sunday. And as I sit here, I am fully, fully dedicated to Jesus Christ. And I got all my faith in him. I surrender my whole life. So I walked out for work one morning and my car is gone. And I'm like, uh, so who do wants to do a 95 Taurus? that the window only goes halfway up, it's ugly. So now, and then work was going full, she's pregnant, so we got a doctor's appointment every week. I go to the doctor every week, so I'm a recovering addict, and we didn't know what we were gonna do. So, uh, at that time, I was in a freedom group with Miss Jean, and I love her to death. And I just, told her about it just for somebody to vent to like hey our car got stolen can you please say prayers for us because we don't know what we're going to do so that Sunday just in passing by Pastor Tim said hey Tony how you doing I said man it ain't going so well my car got stolen last Thursday and I'm stuck I don't know what I'm going to do the end of the service Pastor Tim is and I knew something was going on because he kept looking at me throughout the whole sermon and I knew I knew something was going I just didn't know what and sure enough man he walks up to the thing and he's like you told me something before the service didn't right before this experience uh, he told me that his car was stolen on Thursday while I'm in this experience somebody texted me and said because of Pastor Joel's message he said 
that God prompted him and his wife's heart to give away a car to somebody in need in the church. And so I want you to know what you just saw, Acts chapter 4, 34 and 35. There's no needy people among them because those who had possessions came and gave it to the apostles to give to those in need. So I want you to turn around and take a look at the car that was just donated to you, sir. You have a new car today. Who else can that be? There, there's no, there's nobody else that, that can make that happen. The old Tony was an angry, violent addict. This Tony right here, I have hope, I have joy, I have peace, I have a family and a father that's gonna love me unconditionally no matter what I do. As long as I continue to follow my path in Jesus Christ. Come on. Come on, let's just give God praise today for what he's doing in the movement of the church. Can I just tell you this is the kind of church I want. I want a church that's going to have people like Tony who will show up and feel the love of God and feel the mercy of God and feel the grace of God wash over them no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, but they can experience the love and the grace of Jesus. That's the kind of church we are. Listen, today, I, I don't know, maybe some of you, maybe, maybe you feel like that person who's outside the gate. Maybe some of you feel like I'm that person and no one sees. I'm that person and no one notices. I'm outside the gate. Can I just tell you a truth that maybe you don't know? And that is you need to understand the gate that that man was stuck outside of. That gate, there's something. Remember I told you there's something specific about that gate. There's something about the sheep gate. That was the gate where you where you bring the offering and the sacrifice through to the temple. There's something about that gate. And then you know what's beautiful that John tells us in this story is that all of a sudden now you see Jesus, who is the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world for your sin and my sin, walking through the gate on his way to the temple. This is a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus is. And Jesus would later say in John chapter 10, I am the gate and the sheep come through me to get to the Father. You don't need to be stuck outside. You don't need to feel like an outcast because of your condition, because of what you've done, because Jesus makes a way. He made a way. And so I don't know if that's you today, but I need you to know you came to the house of mercy. You came to the house of mercy. The water is stirring today. This is a house of mercy. This is also a house of miracles. I believe that God still does miracles. Some of you today, God's going to stir your faith to believe for a miracle that you need in your life. I don't know what it is, but I'm just telling you, I think God's stirring something today. He's stirring the waters, but it's the water of his spirit, not a pool. Not a pool. In this moment, I want to encourage you to bow your heads, to close your eyes. Father, I'm so grateful for your mercy in my life. I am thank you, God, for the grace and the mercy that you've shown to me. And I believe that same grace and mercy is available today 
If you're here today and you say, I feel like that guy, I'm on my mat and I can't get up. It could be a physical thing, but it might be an emotional thing. It might be a struggle with depression. It might be your marriage that's a struggle. It might be an addiction that's your struggle. Can I just tell you, there's no mess so great that Jesus won't stop right now and meet you in the mess. And I believe that he wants to do miracles. And the first miracle is he wants to touch you. He wants to bring mercy to your life. In this moment, if that's you and that's your desire today, some of you never expected to have this kind of moment, but something stirring inside of you. That's the Spirit of God. He's bringing healing right now. That's the Spirit of God. He's bringing mercy right now. That's the Spirit of God. He's stirring some water in you that has been stagnant for a while. Today is a day to respond. This is the moment to respond. Today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, today, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, or maybe you need to rededicate your life to him, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer right now. This is between you and him. I want you to say, Jesus, today I give my life to you, all of me. I receive your spirit. I receive forgiveness of my sin. I'm asking you, God, stir within me your presence. God, I ask for a miracle. I ask for a healing. I ask, God, that you would right now lift me up from my place and set me on my feet and set me moving forward to follow you for the rest of my life. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.